are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Jay. Jay is an implant technician at a semiconductor company. Trigger warning, this episode may contain talk about suicidal ideation, so if that's a trigger for you, just a warning. We'll be right back with Jay, but first, let's talk about community. So I am starting a meetup group, and it's the Depression Session Meetup Tucson. And I want to start this for two reasons. One is doing this show... I have had practice sessions where I have groups of people get together and tell their story before they come on the show, just to kind of work out some ideas. And I've been surprised at how healthy and helpful it's been for the people who've come to tell their story that it can, for me too, like telling my story every week, it's just been kind of like going to group therapy, like a peer group therapy where like, hello, I'm Laura Milkins and um, I'm depressed. And being honest about what I'm doing has helped me. Just like hearing the stories has helped me. Telling my story has helped me. So I wanted to start a meetup group so that people can tell their story. So I looked up on uh, Psych Central. They have an article called Social Connections Can Help to Reduce Depression. And it's by Rick Nauert, PhD. A new study finds that belonging to a social group helps to alleviate depression and prevent relapse. And it appears the closer the tie to the group, the better the results. And then further down in the article, it says, in both cases, patients responding to a survey questions did not, who did not identify strongly with the social group had about 50% likelihood of continued depression after a month. But those who developed a stronger connection to the group and who came to see its members as us rather than them, less than a third still met the criteria for clinical depression after that time. Many patients said the group made them feel supported because everybody was in it together. We were able to find clear evidence that joining groups and coming to identify with them can alleviate depression. So I find that really powerful because I think that the weird thing about depression is it's so hard to get out of what you're doing, which it's the depression is naturally isolating. And for most people, it's like a big part of it is the feeling of being kind of alone on the planet. And that's like in the worst of my depression, that's what it is. Like I'm alone here. There's really, what am I doing here? What's the purpose? Like kind of a hopelessness and um, that I don't really have anywhere that I belong And I think that was a big, big part of my depression after my dad died. And that being part of a group just kind of calmed things down for me. You know, the group being this show of having people come on and tell their story. So I'm starting the meetup group. We're going to have our first meeting. It's on isolation and depression. And it'll be Tuesday, September 13th from 7 to 8 p.m. at the Quincy Douglas Library. So if anybody wants to come to that, you can find the meetup group on meetup.com. And it's just the depression session meetup. And I'll just end with a quote uh, from Helen Keller. And she says, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. So thank you all. Today we have with us in the studio, Jay. Jay is an implant technician at a clean room at a semiconductor company. Hello, Jay, welcome to the depression session. 
<laughs> so tell us about what, what is an implant technician at a semiconductor company? Like, what is that? What is your job? I'm, I'm curious. Um, okay, well, I, I work in a clean room, and semiconductors are computer chips. Ah. So they're micro, you know, can it be anything from the computer or the chip in your computer to uh, chips in your car? In fact, most of the chips we make are, are for cars. Huh. Um, and the implant part is um, there are many, many different steps into making a computer chip, and there's many, many different machines involved. Well, I happen to work on one called an ion implanter. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to describe. Um, you can't really, you can, you can hardly even Google pictures of most of the equipment. Wow. Do you work in groups or is it like a sort of like yeah, each person's doing a part of it or? Um, yeah, we work in teams. Um, for my particular group, we have three to four guys per shift that are responsible for keeping the machines running. Um, every so often they have, to be, they have to be shut down and torn apart and cleaned up and um, new, new parts put in and then they're ready to go for production for a while. But um, it's a... It's a very intense job sometimes. I work uh, 12-hour shifts. Um, typically, they're 5 to 5. I happen to work noon to midnight. It's not a common shift, but it's it's very, actually, it can be really hard on people who are depressed. Yeah. Uh, in that you're, you put on a clean room suit before you go into the clean room, so you're you get to know everybody that you know just by their shape and their eyes because the, the suit covers your regular clothes. You don't really see the people you work with sometimes for years. Wow. You know, talk about isolation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you don't run into them outside of the factory, it's just kind of strange. And then there are times where you're by yourself and there's times where you're by yourself inside one of the machines and you can be working alone for eight to 10 hours. Wow. But, uh, I think that's really fascinating. I mean, there's so many jobs. That I almost want to do a show on, you know, what do people do? <laughs> there's so many jobs that I don't really, I mean, you, you, you buy something and you buy a car and you never think there was some guy in a room in like a spacesuit practically assembling the parts or making them happen, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, the, the story behind the story is often, you know, you never even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jay, tell us the story of your depression. Uh, well, um, I'm in my early 40s, and I've been depressed, as it turned out, my, pretty much my entire life. But the last 16 years or so, I've been seeking treatment for it. Uh, various counselors and uh, psychiatrists and psychologists. And, oh, you know, I've had various levels of success with it and uh, seem to go in cycles. Be doing just fine for a while, and then not too good for a period of time. Sometimes a few days, sometimes a few months, and I guess most recently, last year, uh, the last year of my life, it's been I've been through probably two or three different cycles like this. Last summer, I was on the overnight shift, five a.m. to five p.m. or five p.m. to five a.m. and I can't switch my sleep schedule over. A lot of people who are depressed have sleep problems and sleep issues. And uh, it just, a lot of my colleagues, they get off work at 5, 5 a.m. On, the, on their Friday. And 
they just stay up and then switch over to normal life or or they work at, they work something out. I just couldn't. I, I would try and I would be grouchy and angry all the time, unpleasant to be around. So I would just stay up all night on my off nights. And that, that isolation after about a year led to a pretty bad bout of depression where every other thought in my head was suicide. One of the gauges that I, I use to determine how depressed I am is what I call the morning announcement. I woke, I woke up every day for about 13 years, and the first thought out of my, in my head was, well, this would be a good, good, good day to go die, and, or something to that effect. So the morning announcement came back last summer, and it was pretty bad. Fortunately, I was able to get my doctors together, and they wrote a recommendation to my, to my employer that I either go to day shifts modify my shifts or quit my job. So my employer was, was nice enough to uh, allow me to go to the noon to midnight, which has really helped my life. My, I'm able to sleep, I'm able to join my wife uh, in a reasonable time in the morning. I have a pretty good life now, as far as that goes. So that uh, I kicked in about September, about a year ago, about September of last year. And everything went fairly well for the holidays. I was regularly attending, and I still regularly attend the Central Phoenix Writers Workshop, uh, and that has been huge. It's been a huge help keeping me kind of on the level and keeps me socially interacting, preventing prevents me from isolating. And uh, so I've been I was going to that last fall and winter and. Everything seemed okay until February. My cat died, and that in and of itself isn't too unusual. Cats die all the time, but this cat I'd had 17 years. His name was Lebowski. We, he, he actually lived at my college party house. Um, he was this little tiny cat with a crooked head who was into everything. He was a pain, he was, pain, he was trouble. There was a party. He was in the middle of the party. He was just a very social creature, but uh, I had a bond with him. I forged a bond with him over the years that I've never had with any other animal or literally any other person. Um, so he got he was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and he defied the odds, lived through this cancer for six years. And he finally died in February. I was actually at the writer's group and uh, came home. But uh, that hit me like, it hit me as hard as, as when my, my dad died. Um, my dad had committed suicide about well, 10 years ago now. And that was, that was one of the hardest things to watch because he didn't do it all at once. He did it slowly using his diabetes and uh, not taking care of himself. So it hit me as hard as that did. And in some ways harder because I'd never been physically ill from depression before. But for about a week after Lebowski died, I was pure sick. Didn't go to work for a couple of days. Felt terrible all the time. And um, <laughs> I didn't, I just couldn't imagine 
how I was going to keep going. It's so weird to cat, but he was ever present. As soon as I got home from work, there he was, uh, sit on the couch, he's in my lap. Everywhere I go, he'd follow me around. It's like a little dog. And uh, well, about a month after, my wife and I found out we were having twins. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, it's exciting. We had been trying to have kids for a couple of years, and it, it shifted, shifted everything. Wow. I went from being really depressed to nervous and depressed. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but the depression started to fade as, as the focus became, all right, we're going to have kids. So now we got to get all these things together and we got to prepare and gave, gave me somewhere to put my energies. Everything, everything uh, seemed to be stable for quite a long time. Uh, But here in the last, I'd say four months. I haven't had the huge depression hits like with Lebowski or, or last summer, but I've had periods of three to four days where I'm just incredibly negative and depressed and I don't want any, like I, I can't get myself to do anything. You know, I've got a lot of things to take care of. I can't seem to get myself motivated to, to do even the most basic thing. Sometimes just paying the power bills is all I can do for the day. And that's frustrating. Oh, so the last, uh, what, the last month, I seem to be going through these little mini cycles really fast. One of the two days of that, and then one two days of really good function, and then one two days of, no. In fact, work has been, uh, it's been really hard at work. It's been really stressful at work. We're asked to do more and more and more with fewer people. Hmm. So the 12 hour shifts, it used to be there would be lulls and, and downtime during that 12 hours but anymore. It's all, all out every minute, the whole time, all 12 hours. And after three days of that or four days of that in a row, it's exhausted and it's getting to the point where I've gotten to the point where I just don't want to go to work, but it's not an option, especially with twins on the way. Yeah. Oh, so I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to play out as I have the kids and sleep becomes an issue. I don't do well without sleep. Never have. It was one of the, in fact, I was in the Navy when I was younger and that was probably the most difficult part about being in the Navy, aside from being away from home, was not getting sleep. I'm kind of curious to see how... It's going to play out with the girls, hopefully. I mean, twin girls is <laughs> nerve wracking enough. Uh, and then when you get two or three hours of solid sleep at a shop. And, but I'm going into it as optimistic as I can. I'm excited, really excited. In fact, um, my wife could deliver at any moment at this point. They're due at any day. Well, it's more or less where I'm at now. Great. 
Well, thanks so much for sharing your story. I, I, and congratulations on the twins. I mean, that's amazing and terrifying and amazing. <laughs> I, I just hope I can be a good dad. You yeah. know, through, through everything I've been through, you know, my example, my dad's example, uh, he was a Vietnam vet who never recovered from the war. Mm. So that was my example as a kid was not exactly normal. So I've always been worried that I'm not going to be a very good dad. Everybody says I will be, so <laughs> I hope I can live up to that. I really do, but yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed at how many people, when they become parents, you've got, you, you, I think a good portion of people just don't have a good example. <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't think it's uncommon to, you know, when I look at my family history, my parents are great parents in many, many ways. And then there were some things that weren't awesome. And, you know, I think everybody does the best that they can. I I chose ages ago not to have kids. I just never, I said, well, if I feel maternal someday, maybe, maybe I'll have children. And so far that hasn't happened. So, (laughs) but I, I, I think that our generation, I feel, is doing, I could be wrong, but I feel like we're doing a better job. I feel like we have a lot of tools to like how to be a good parent, even if we didn't have a good example. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And just wanting to be a good parent is a good start. Right. I think we're a lot more aware <laughs> yeah. of long-term consequences of our actions and behaviors. Yeah. Large. So yeah. hopefully a little bit of knowledge that way helps well, and it sounds like you're taking care of yourself, which is step one, right? <laughs> yeah, if I don't, uh, how, how can I raise kids if I'm like a drunken load or, you know, just a depressed, isolated shell of who I'm supposed to be? So. Yeah, but um, that's that's a topic that we haven't touched on a lot in the depression session is like being a parent with depression. I had a um, woman on last week who is a high school friend of mine. And she went through a terrible depression after she had her her son. And postpartum is like its own bag of nastiness. And it's supposed to be like the most magical time of your life. Only you feel awful. <laughs> and yeah. I think that I think that realistically speaking, we're we don't need to be perfect. We just need to get through it and love the people around us. I think that goes a long way in my book. Yeah. 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 And I really related to you losing your cat. I mean, it sounds silly. You were saying that before the show. You were saying like, oh, you know, I'm a guy and like I was so broken up over my cat. But we really feel a closeness with our pets. And there is, they just become a part of your life. More than like I lost my dad and it knocked the wind out of me. And part of it was just our weekly call was gone, <laughs> you know. And with your cat, it's actually an integral part of your daily life even more than a parent, this integral part of your daily life has just gone one day, yeah. you know, and it's hard to underestimate how that affects you. Well, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. Yeah. No, oh. I was going to ask you, do you have birds? Do we have birds? No. <laughs> I heard a little chirpy noise and I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh, that, that was actually our other cat. Oh, you have a chirpy cat. <laughs> uh, well, he's, he, He's a giant cat with a tiny meow. There you go. He's been whining and wandering around um, during the last half hour. Wondering what you're doing. <laughs> Just trying to annoy me, I think. There you go. He's kind of a rascal. Yeah. And then the other thing I related to were just 
you know, talking about different bouts of depression throughout your life and that you, it's, it's like different, different moments. Like you go through these waves of really struggling to like kind of doing okay to like really struggling to kind of doing okay. And it's, uh, I think that's very common for people to go through. Yeah. It doesn't seem to just end, you know, it's always kind of lurking around the corner, but, um, I think as a, as I go through and see my counselor more and as uh, I'm getting older, I'm able to recognize it faster when I'm in a bad depression. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean I can do anything about it, which is kind of frustrating because you know, you know, you see yourself behaving this way or feeling this way, but there's not really a lot you can do about it. Um, the, the most, I think the, the best I can do is not take it out on other people or externalize my frustration and my rage. I try really hard to be aware of when I'm being irrational. And my wife can attest that um, I'm frequently irrational. But, uh, <laughs> I, I try to stop as soon as I realize that's how it is. But, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I can come back in a year and let you know about... Uh, being a depressed parent. <laughs> I almost think it's it's like it's like you're finding some cure-all solution for depression isn't really the point, but finding the things that work for you, you know, the things that get you through. Yeah. Um, you have any suggestions for our our viewers? Things that have worked for you that have just gotten you through the tough spots? Ah, uh, well. I was heavy into mountain biking, as odd as that might seem, that because it's kind of an, I, I would go alone, and I would, uh, even though I'm isolated, I was really intense in the riding, and then um, exercise in general seemed to help some, but it's not quite the magical cure all that a lot of people say. Oh yeah, well you just need to eat better and work out. You know? okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that. that did help, but even last summer when I was in, having suicidal thoughts, but I would spend an hour at night at the gym, hour and a half, two hours at the gym. So I was in great physical condition, but mentally it was just a mess. Uh, but the, the thing that's helped me the most lately has been the writing workshop. Mm -hmm. Being down there among other people, a lot of us down there have some, have some mental illnesses, a lot of us ranging from depression and bipolarism to schizophrenia to um yeah that's the history of authors it, yeah <laughs> and, and we've often wondered i mean is it are we crazy because we're writers or are we writers because we're crazy so <laughs> <laughs> i i'm an artist so i could i could say the same thing about my set of uh artist friends and both writing and art the actual act of it is very isolated it's very, you know, when you're doing it and when you're really in the flow of, of writing or making artwork, the world disappears. And that's the part I love about it. And it's also kind of a weird, weird thing that like the thing that you love is maybe not the best thing to do when you're depressed, but it actually is sometimes the thing that gets you through it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it, it, uh, it takes me away. Like you said, you, you lose yourself, you lose um, you lose sense of what's around you, at least I do. And 
the next thing I know, two or three hours have gone by. But then I take what I've done to the workshop and share it with other writers. And, you know, this is, this is how we grow. And helping each other learn. But uh, that, that sharing part, that communal part, that, uh, that seems to help quite a bit. Because when I have a good session down there, the next day I'm, I'm in a great mood, elevated for at least a day. Yeah. And, and the, I, I was laughing a little bit when you were talking about exercising, eating right, because people always go back to this, like, I had somebody say to me the other day, it's, you kind of make a decision to make, be happy. And I, I said, that's true. You know, that's true. I said, but when you, when you have serious mental health issues, you can decide whatever you want to. And you, I, I was going through this thing. I was so frustrated you know, last year because I'm, or even the year before, I'm doing everything right. That's why I was telling you, I'm doing everything right. I'm exercising, I'm eating right, I'm going to social engagements, I'm taking walks, I'm spending time with friends, I'm talking to my family, I'm connecting, and nothing helps. Nothing, everything, despite all the things, you know, wake up in the morning, today's going to be a good day, and nothing helped. Flatline. You know, my experience of the world of all of these things that I used to love and I've engaged in in other times and found satisfaction and that have helped me, even the the best resources I had just, just didn't do anything. They just weren't helping. And my decision at that time was to lean into it and say, okay, depression, I see you. Like, you're part of me. You've been here before. You'll be back again. What, why don't I just give in a little bit to it? And just see what that feels like. And stop being so frustrated and feeling so stupid that I can't get out of this. And by doing that and doing this show, and maybe just time, I have no idea. I actually feel better. Like stopping trying to fix it has helped me feel better. Because there's something something in me that just feels so frustrated with being down. You know, like it's not okay. And I was like, why isn't it okay? I mean, it feels horrible, but what about, this is just where I am with things. What about acceptance and just being like, yeah, you, you guys have all your theories and all your ideas on how I would be better, but I'm not. And why isn't that okay? I'm doing everything that everybody recommends for depression and, and I'm not all right. And I'm okay with that. You know? Yeah. That's a good idea, actually. Yeah, that it's just like, I mean, everybody goes through depression at some point. I really believe that. Like the happiest people on the planet, at some point something happens and they get down and sometimes you get stuck there for a while. And that that's cool. Like that's part of being a human being. Why is that such an awful thing? It doesn't feel good. And when you get to the point where you really feel hopeless, it, it it's like then, you know, every tool in your toolkit, you're just like, oh, you know, but but still just to be like, no, this is who I am. This is part of who I am. And I'm not going to hate this anymore. It's just, it is what it is, you know? And that's helped me a lot. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a therapist and I'm not an expert. I just do this show, but I found that almost everybody, their, their story, there's little threads that really are similar and that I can relate to. And, um, we all suffer. We all go through these things and that's, that's a, okay. I've decided that's a, okay. All right, well, I agree. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and if that helps somebody, that's even better. And if your story helps somebody, that's even better. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. The other new dads to be out there, <laughs> wondering yeah. how they're going to do and feeling depressed anyway. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine every new dad is a little scared, a little depressed, um, a little of everything. It's been just a, yeah. Mix of emotions. Yeah. Well, from one second to the next, it's, it can be pure contentment. Like, yeah, I envision myself holding the girls and taking up the baseball games. And then the next minute, it's just pure dread. It's like, oh man, I've got to change twenty diapers a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, I I just think your story is going to help somebody out there. And thank you so much for coming on the depression session. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you. You're listening to KTDTLP Tucson, Downtown Radio 99.1 FM.